Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. What a wonderful time of worship we have continued to have, and uh, certainly we have reason to just sing along with that refrain, joyful, joyful, uh, we adore thee. And uh, as, as we have this opportunity now to, to study God's Word together, I invite you, you can grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, and we are continuing on in our series of uh, sermons centered around the story of Christmas from the Gospel of Matthew, talking about uh, what child is this? And of course, we spent the last couple of weeks unpacking the genealogy of Jesus there in the first eighteen verse, first 17 verses of uh, Matthew chapter 1 and saw all the wonderful ways in which uh, God is at work and the ways in which His promises are thread through and we can see even the hope and the substance of who Christ is and all of what we find in the kings and those others and who they are not. But here we are coming into Matthew chapter 1 and we're going to start in verse 18 and make our way down through verse 25. But before we read that... We need to be reminded of where we are in the scope of things. Because as we continue to ask ourselves the question of what child is this, we also need to recognize Christmas is 14 days away. And I know some of us just jumped a little, right? That's a big deal. All of the anticipation and all of the buildup and everything else is just 14 days away. That's right around the corner. It's hard to believe, and I know... Just resist the temptation for a little while to pull Amazon out on your phone, and uh, we won't linger too long. You'll be able to take care of that, and, and God is gracious for that. But as we come into this text again, we've seen answering the question, what child is this? What we find in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 is another reminder and really a specific declaration as to who Jesus is and why that matters. So grab your copy of God's Word and read with me in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, and this is what we read. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to even have the question answered for us. What child is this? As so much clamors for our attention, especially this time of year, Father, may our eyes and hearts be fixed upon you. By your Spirit and work through your Word, Father, teach us. Capture our attention. Capture our affection. And Father, may we rejoice to know Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name and for His glory. Amen. 
as we come back into this passage, what we saw with the unpacking of the genealogy is so much history covered and so many names and so broad a story. And so now things narrow down and get very specific to the degree that just as we were unpacking who Jesus is, we see in verse 18, it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So the whole idea is, this is going to be quite a story. Just the fact that this is even stated indicates this is going to be quite a story. That we would even bring it up. This is how this all came around. This is how this all came about. The birth of Jesus Christ. And it is always helpful to unpack what is meant by saying even that. Jesus, whose name means the Lord is salvation, or Yahweh is salvation, or Yahweh saves. His name, an indicator of who He is and what He does. The title Christ that he fulfills, the three anointed roles of the Old Testament of prophet, priest, and king. He is the Messiah. He's the promised one. He's the one that we've been waiting for and looking for this whole time. Well, how did this come around? How did this finally happen? Well, interestingly enough, as we start to read this, we realize that the arrival of Jesus started with what felt like an overwhelming inconvenience. Because just as soon as we read, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, we then read, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So here we have this relationship, right? A betrothal relationship between Mary and Joseph. Clearly, Mary is the mother, right? And so you can imagine here just the joy in Mary of thinking and understanding all of what is unveiled in Luke chapter 1 and thinking of the Holy Spirit and uh, overshadowing her. And there, the child is there. God has placed the child there. It is God himself. And you can imagine just the enjoyment of Mary in the gestational development of the Son of God. You think of 22 days after conception, the heart is beating with the blood that would be shed for the forgiveness of our sins. You think about the eyes that are being formed in the womb. Three weeks they would appear and they would be able to perceive light within 10 weeks. And you think of the light of the world as he who's there in the womb. The hope to all who are broken. The hands that are forming there and as the the sort of webbing fades away and by 12 weeks you've got discernible fingerprints on this unborn child. These fingerprints who touched lepers, who calmed storms, and one day carried our cross and died upon it. Here he is. His mother Mary, enjoying all of these things, but we realize quite quickly Mama is engaged, betrothed to Joseph, and she's with child. And from the outside looking in, this looks like a big problem, doesn't it? You think of betrothal, and yes, betrothal is similar to engagement, but it would involve a much more serious commitment. It would involve marital oaths and vows that were taken. So she would be under the authority of her father until the day of their wedding, but she would be committed to Joseph to the degree that they would require a divorce in order to break off the betrothal agreement. And then you think about marriage and the life event that it is. 
And for all of us in here who have gone through that time of engagement and all of the excitement that's associated with it and all of the, you know, the, the daydreaming that goes along with it, I wonder what it's going to be like five years from now, right? I wonder when the little ones are going to come around. I wonder when it's gonna, what it's going to be like when we celebrate our first Christmas together. I wonder what it's going to be like. And you start to imagine all of these things and you've got it all planned out. And you ponder and you daydream. And interestingly enough, once you make it five years down the road, was it anything like what you thought it was going to be? Probably not. Hopefully better. But as Joseph is pondering all these things and thinking about the the wonderful reality of family and what he has to look forward to, before they came together, clearly Joseph and Mary were not having any sort of premarital sex. Obviously that's very... Uh, biblically defined, that's inappropriate, that's sinful. They weren't doing that, but all of a sudden, she's very clearly with child. She is pregnant, and she's with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, this is amazing as you think about it. Mary is a virgin, and yet she's very pregnant from the Holy Spirit. And so that does give us some theological clarity as to what's going on here. Here's someone who is 100% God and 100% man there in the womb. And that the way he came to us clarifies who he is. He is the Son of God. He is the Word of God made flesh. He is our Savior, our hope. He really is God with us. But you imagine Mary trying to explain this to Joseph. Because for Joseph, listening to this would have sounded a whole lot more like the weirdest excuse for adultery that he's ever heard in his life. You're you're telling me what now? It's as though Joseph would be asking the question that we've been asking with a different emphasis. What child is this? Who is this now? Are you serious? You expect me to believe this? You can imagine the anger and the emotion and just the overwhelming moment that, that he was going through, even in th- trying to process all of these things. And for many of us, this is exactly where you are. The arrival of Jesus, and really, you think of all the busyness of the season and all the things that you're involved in, trying to get ready for Christmas and everything else, and the little baby in the manger just seems like a profound inconvenience to you. Of all the things that require your attention, it seems like he's easiest to sort of push aside and say, I really don't want to deal with this. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. What child is this? He's not mine. And until you know him, until you know him for who he is, until you see him for who he is, you will say he is not worth the trouble. The holiday is fine. But his lordship is not, because this is the child who didn't just stay a child, who grew up and called us to repent and believe in the gospel, who grew up and went to the cross and died there for our sin, who grew up and calls us to repent and believe or likewise perish. It's as though at the moment right here, Joseph is like, look, I don't have time to deal with this. And in verse 19, it says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. You can see, even even from the text itself, 
the way in which the betrothal agreement existed, he's referred here to as her husband. There's a commitment that exists there, even though they have not yet come together formally. And then he's described as a just man, so he has a sense, a, a strong sense of right and wrong. He's not just going let to it, let it go or just pretend like, oh, well, I'll just get over it. He's not going to do that, but he's also unwilling to put her to shame. There's a gentleness. There's a sense of his wounded heart in life in the midst of this. There's a genuine concern for her. He's not going to pull out Deuteronomy 22 on her. He's not going to drag the Pharisees out there and say, let's, let's prosecute this to the fullest extent of the law. He's unwilling to put her to shame. He just wants this whole thing to go away quietly. Just get out of my life. He feels like he has the grounds to do so. And isn't this the way that people act when they're hurt? Just leave me alone. I don't want anything to do with this. Just go away. This is how a lot of people are this time of year, isn't it? This time of year, for as much celebration and as many decorations that we can put on the wall that say joy and everything else, this is a hard time of year for a lot of people. There's a lot of lingering hurt that exists around the holidays. There's a lot of people with the sense of, I just want everyone to go away and leave me alone. And you feel like you have every justification for saying that very thing. And maybe you find yourself this morning even saying that to Jesus Christ himself. Just go away. See, before you know him, before you know who he is, his arrival is your inconvenience. You think of Joseph, he's like, I had all my plans. I had this all figured out. I had this all sorted out, where we were going to live, how this was going to go, how, how we were going to raise a family, and when we were going to have kids, right? You remember having all those plans when you were engaged. This is exactly how it's going to be. And now all of a sudden, it's like, I just want to get you out of here. I just want to pack you up, like taking the little baby Jesus and putting him back in the box and sticking him down in the basement for another year. Just get out of my face. You see, the whole fact of Christmas itself confronts us with the question, what child is this? Why are we doing all this stuff? Why are we celebrating so much? Why are we going to such an extent to decorate for all these things and buy gifts for all these people? What is at the heart of all of this? Or to ask it another way, what child is this? How do you answer that question? Because how you answer that question is going to change the way you look at everything else. What child is this? See, Joseph at the moment remained unconvinced. Some in here may remain unconvinced. But God is so gracious and good that he gives us another opportunity and he reintroduces himself to us here. What child is this? Well, as the text continues, he says, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, 
saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So he's thinking about all these things. He's processing all these things. He's, he's unconvinced by Mary. He's going through all of the emotional questions. How could she do this? What am I going to do now? How am I going to sort this out? And in considering all these things, he did what men often do when they are thinking hard. We fall asleep. (laughs) Right? I'm just going to rest my eyes for a minute. And four hours later, you'll come out of your coma. Joseph does this very thing overwhelmed in the moment, thinking about all the details. What am I going to do about all this? He falls asleep. And as he slept, the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. A messenger from the Lord God himself is sent, a messenger with a message to deliver. And he says, Joseph, Son of David. And it's as though in that moment, he's sort of, God in his, his fatherly kindness is like grabbing Joseph by the shoulders and being, son, look at the bigger picture. This is the only time in the New Testament where anyone other than Jesus is referred to as son of David. It's as though he's, he's grabbing hold of him and saying, look at the bigger picture. Look at the broader promise. Think of all the things that you've heard growing up, knowing who you are and what your lineage is and who it connects to. And the promise that's just lingering out there in the wind from 2 Samuel chapter 7, that there's a a king coming in the line of David who's going to rule on an eternal throne. Listen, Joseph, son of David. And even addressing him in this way would startle his imagination. Even in that address right there, it would be a reminder, wait a second, maybe I'm thinking too little of the who this child really is. It's a correction. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid to fulfill your vow. Don't be afraid to raise this child and stake your life upon this. But as we read this and we think of what this means, are you afraid that Jesus isn't all he's cracked up to be? Because interestingly enough, when we're afraid, what do we do? We hesitate. Remember as a kid, you're big brother or whoever dared you to climb up to the high dive and you made your way all the way up there and you inch your way out to the end and you look down and you're like, I don't know about all this. When you're afraid, you hesitate. Whenever you're trying to pull into a parking lot, especially this time of year, what do you do? Hopefully you look twice, right? You hesitate a little because you're afraid of all of the onslaught that may be coming your way. As you stand at the register and everything's ringing up and you're looking at the numbers there and you, you hesitate before you pull your wallet out because you're like, is all of this really worth it? See, when we're afraid, we hesitate. 
But see, this is how so many people are with Jesus. It's so easy to talk about him as, as the child. And yes, he came in the form of a child and he became like us in every way. But he didn't remain a child forever. He grew. He's our Savior. He went to the cross and died for our sin. But see, as we think about the Christmas story and our interaction with it, so many of us find ourselves just hesitating. Is he really worth my life? Is he really worth following? Is he really worth trusting? Is this really worth believing? Is the, is the cost too high? Are you afraid you're not going to have the life and, and the hopes and the satisfaction that you thought you were going to? Are you so afraid that Jesus is, is going to just wreck your life, that it's not going to be the way you planned it? Because for Joseph, this is not how he planned it. But God in his grace gave him something far better. I can guarantee you following Christ is probably not going to go the way in which you plan it. But I can also guarantee that following Christ means God is with you. And that's better. Notice here that this commandment of do not fear is tied directly to who Jesus is. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That baby, that child, that child that you want nothing to do with is the reason you should not fear. That child is from the Holy Spirit. So it's like the angel is telling him this, and he's singing to himself, Mary was right. God the Father sent God the Son by God the Holy Spirit. And at the very least, just from that declaration alone, we can understand that this is a reminder of Jesus' sinlessness. He's not corrupted by a sin nature as we are, nor did his sin nature bear out in actual the commitment of sin. He is holy, as is declared in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. But it's also a reminder of the union of the two natures of Christ, that he's fully God and he's fully man. He's God the Son made flesh for us. And that who he is makes all the difference in the world. Do you know him? Do you know him as he really is? He is the King of glory. He is God come to rescue us. We can sing all the songs and know all the lyrics to all the Christmas carols and everything else, but if you don't have Christ in your heart, you're missing the point. You can do what Tim was describing with people igniting their house with all manner of electric lights and everything else, but if you do all of that and miss the light of the world who's come that we would not have darkness in our own hearts and life. You've missed the point. Who he is makes all the difference. And that how you respond to the gift being given is an indicator of what you really think of it. Many parents have had the frustrating experience of giving your kids something that was relatively expensive and five minutes into Christmas, it's buried under Christmas, like, wrapping paper on the floor. And you're like, what are you doing, right? Don't you know how much that cost? Don't you know what that's worth? 
But see, for many of us, that's how we think we can do with Jesus. It's sort of like, okay, yeah, it's just part of the Christmas thing, and I'll do this, and I'll just chuck it on the floor when I'm done with it. No, let's know him for who he really is. Let's see the full scope of his glory and what he has come to do. And let the fears of our life fade in the light of who he is. This angel says in verse 21, she'll bear a son. Mary will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. She's going to bear a son. Now for us in this day and age, we're like, okay, well, we could have figured that out. But for most of human history, that was not the case. And so we had to come up with all sorts of weird ways in which to venture a guess. Are you carrying the baby high? Then you're going to have a girl. If you're carrying the baby low, you're going to have a boy. Are you craving sour food? You're going to have a girl. If you're craving sweet food, you're going to have a boy. If when you find out that you're going to have a baby, the first step that you take, if you lead with your right foot, you're going to have a boy. If you lead with your left foot, you're going to have a girl. You're starting to see just how ridiculous these things are, right? If you take a ring and tie it to a string and hold it over a mama's belly, if it swings back and forth, you're going to have a a boy. And if it goes around in a circle, you're going to have a girl. That's what I said. What? Creative ways of venturing a guess. This is no guess. The angel is declaring, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Best gender reveal ever. (laughs) And notice, you shall call his name Jesus. You will call him by the name that he already has. He already has this name. He has existed in all time, in all place. And he has always been. He's the eternal son of the Father. Jesus, whose name is Yahweh, is salvation. Yahweh saves. He is the name above all names and the name at which every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And his name reveals his mission. You'll call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. It's a reference, at least an allusion, to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34. In this call of the New, Test- New Covenant, in this reminder of what's coming, that God will send one through whom we will have forgiveness of sins. He will save us. Which means we need saving. Which also means we don't like to admit that, do we? We are so profoundly self-sufficient that this bothers our pride. Saved. What are you going to save me from? And so people come up with all sorts of interesting ideas. Well, maybe you'll save me from poverty. No, that's not what he said here, is it? Maybe you'll save me from social inconvenience. Well, no, that's not what he said here either. Maybe you'll save me from whatever my issue of the day might be. No, that's not what he says here either. What did he say? He will save his people from their sins. It's very easy for us to look into the lives of other people, especially this time of year, and be like, look, you got your wants and your needs all mixed up. 
You read a Christmas list and you're like, yeah, there's no way. You don't need any of this. This is a ridiculous list of things. But see, that's how a lot of us are in coming to Jesus. We, we think we're going to come to Jesus with the, our sort of needs, our, our wants list, and be like, here, I'm going to give this to you, and if you give me everything I want, then maybe I'll trust you. That's not how this works. He came to save us from our sins. He came to deal with the very thing that none of us even want to admit is a problem. To save us from our sins. That all who repent and believe, all who turn away from their sin and trust in Jesus will be saved from their sins. This is our need. So you may think you're too good to require it, and you're wrong. You may think you're so bad that you couldn't have it, and you're wrong. We all need salvation from our sins. But don't think that this is like a gift that you receive where you're like, oh, this isn't really what I wanted, and you can just throw it away. This is the gift that every single one of us needs. And oftentimes, the best things are the things that are given to us that we never even thought to ask for. This is a reminder that humanity's biggest problem, which means my biggest problem and your biggest problem, is sin. We can quote the verses all day long, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's true. Which means we've all sinned willfully by our nature and by our action against a righteous and holy God and we deserve punishment for it. Which means if we just sort of try to take it all upon ourselves, all it's going to get to is just we carry around a burden of law breaking and we drag all of that before the Lord and we'll say, well, I, I did my best. Our best is not good enough. We need Jesus. That's why he came. To save us from our sins. That Christmas, even at this point right here, draws us to look from the cradle all the way to the cross. Because we need to be justified. We need to be made right with the righteous and holy God. We need to be reconciled to him. We need salvation from the punishment against our sin. So that Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, went to the cross and endured the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin and is our propitiation. But we need salvation from sin also in the sense of rescuing us from the power of sin. We need his salvation to work out in us sanctification and growth in him. And to God be the glory, we need salvation from the presence of sin. Where one day, as we close our eyes in death, we know that just as Jesus declared that he's the resurrection and the life, and that anyone who believes in him, though they die, yet they shall live. And so in the moment the believer closes their eyes in death, they awaken in life through the power of Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, it's like you start to lean in and you say, wait, 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 he's going to save us from our sins? And we think of all the little cliches of, of gifts that are used and gifts that keep on giving. And then you think of knowing Jesus. And if you've known Jesus for more than five minutes, you think of not only the salvation and justification and sanctification and, and, and looking forward to glorification. But then you think about all the ways in which he works out you know, comfort and encouragement and hope and mercy and strength in your life. And it's like all these things that you never knew you needed and you never knew that you could even find. And you never knew were even offered out there. You all find all these promises, find their yes and amen in Jesus and it just gets better and better. Do you see him for who he is? He's amazing. 
He will save. Notice how definitive a statement that is. You come to him in faith. He will save you. He's not throwing out possibilities. He's not selling you on something here. He's telling you here, come to him. Weary and heavy laden. And you'll find rest for your soul through faith in Jesus. And all of this, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. All of this fulfills Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Within the context of what you're looking at, within, you know, you look at the Hebrew text and all this other sorts of things, and there's all these sorts of, you know, lines of thinking that the words used in Isaiah don't actually refer to a virgin. Well, actually, they do. Don't, just because somebody says something on the internet doesn't make it true. Actually, it does refer to a virgin. In fact, if you trace the way in which those words are used throughout the Old Testament, repeatedly, They make reference specifically to a virgin. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. 700 years before the incarnation of Jesus, and this promise is just lingering out there, awaiting fulfillment. And you read Isaiah chapter 8, and you start to read it, and you're like, well, that can't be it. And so you just wait. And we've been waiting all along, and yet here he is. Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. God came to dwell with us to save us. See, so much of our celebration of anything centers on who's there. Who's going to be with us? You ever had one of those moments where you go somewhere, you go to somebody's, you know, get together or or party or or whatever else, and, you know, you, you arrive and you're starting to to enjoy it for a minute, and they're like, well, I'm, we're just waiting for somebody else to get here. And you're like, like, can't we be happy with who's here? Let's just wait for somebody else. I sure wish such and such was here. It's like, but all of us are here, right? And we can fall into that trap in the church very easily. We can look around and be like, well, I just wish such and such was here, instead of rejoicing the fact of who is. But how much more so is that the case with Christ? He's with us. And we're looking around being like, well, I sure wish such and such was here. God is with us. Who alone, he alone who can save and sustain us. God's gracious gift of forgiveness and hope. And the reminder that you don't have to save yourself. You don't have to do it yourself because you can't do it yourself. And that when you receive him as Savior and Lord, not only do you have forgiveness and everlasting life, but you have him who's with you in all those moments where your strength is just gone. In all those moments where you do grieve about the fact of people who aren't there and the tears come down your your face and you're reminded that the God of all comfort is with you. That his love sustains you. That he's our shepherd and our keeper. He's our help and our light. It's like reading this text and all of a sudden we're reminded of just how fatherly God is. He sees you. He knows every intricate detail of your life. And he gives the gift that you specifically 
need. He sees us in all of our struggles, in all of our pride, in all of our worshiping the wrong things, in all of our going our own way, all of our making up truth as we want to say it, our contortions of things, all the ways in which we live to our own glory and try to do everything on our own. He sees all of that and says, I'm going to give you the best gift I could ever give you. I'm going to give you myself. What child is this? He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. See, the best Christmas gifts, that if, you're playing, if you haven't got the, all your Christmas gifts yet, right? The best ones are, all, are what? The ones where, where you were paying attention to something somebody said. Some specific need in their life. Some personal touch that's there. Something that's really thoughtful. Where when you receive it, it's like, oh, you feel loved. And it's enduring. And it's lasting. Is this not Jesus Christ himself? Doesn't it make you feel loved? See how personal it is? See how enduring it is? See how thoughtful it is? Have you received him? Do you, have you known him for who he is? Entrusted in him? Because as the text concludes, it just says, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph woke up, and he did what he was commanded to do. I don't imagine he required a great deal of caffeine in order to do that either. He got up, and he did it. He was convinced. Even though many around him would never understand what was going on, it didn't matter. It doesn't matter how things appear to be. What matters is, is it true or is it not? So he took his wife. He maintained that commitment. He knew her not until she had given birth to a son. So he kept that commitment because of who Jesus is. And notice even how the text is so specific here. He says he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, which at least presumes biological children in the future, which are specifically referred to in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, and Mark 3, 32. And he called his name Jesus. And you imagine every time he says Jesus, he's got the echo of the promise in Isaiah chapter 7 in his mind. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. You think of every time when you know, baby Jesus is still in the womb. And all those times as you, know, you get close to the, the womb and you, you talk, right? Hey, Jesus. And being astounded with every statement of his name. And who he is. The Lord is our salvation. This is God with us. Every moment as a child where you would call him to dinner. His name, Jesus, echoing through the halls and echoing through the the neighborhood. Jesus, the Lord is salvation. Every time you said it is a reminder, the Lord is salvation. He has come to save us from our sins. Now that you know, what do you do? 
it's helpful for us to know. But now it's time to respond. Jesus came to save you from your sins. Are you ready to quit trying to deal with those on your own? Are you ready to quit trying to save yourself? Are you ready to cry out in mercy, say, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner, and believe that this child, God with us, came in the flesh, lived in perfect righteousness, was tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin and went to the cross and died there for you as an expression of love. He loved us not only enough to come, he loved us enough to die. And in his death, he endured the outpouring of the wrath of God against the sin of all who would repent and believe. And he took it in the fullness and he said, it is finished, laid down his life, and three days later rose from the dead. What child is this? This is God with us. And this is the same child who calls us as a grown man to repent and believe the gospel. Christmas is not a story unto itself that we sort of pull out once a, once a year and say, hey, let's connect this with the little picture that we've got on our, on our shelf. This is a reminder of the extent to which God saw our need and sent His Son to live, die, and rise again to save you from your sin. Won't you trust Him here today? What child is this? He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's exactly who you need. Won't you trust him today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. God, as we sit here in this moment, as we think of all the things that we've heard and all the things that we know and all the things that we're involved in this Christmas season, Father, may our eyes be fixed on Jesus right now. That if there's anyone within the sound of my voice who has never known you, who has never turned away from their sin and trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord Father, that today would be the day of their salvation. Where they would see that this is not just a one-off story here at the beginning of the New Testament. It connects us directly to the one who went to the cross for us, who died and rose again. Father, awaken hearts and lives to faith today that they would trust you and know you and rejoice in you. And would be able to walk out of this place not only knowing that they are saved, but knowing that because of Jesus they can say, God is with me. Father, for all of us in here who are believers, Stir our affection and stir our attention and stir our awe and wonder yet again to behold Jesus in all of who he is. Forgive us for how so many trivial things have captured our attention. In every way, Lord, may you be honored and glorified as we respond to you now in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.